Hi, Osha here. Thanks for listening to the show. If you're brand new, look, you might hear an ad or two here. If you do, look, you're helping me keep the lights on here at BTYHQ. You're helping me pay for Andy and Rachel who make this show with me. So thank you if you hear some ads. It might even be me selling you some stuff. If you don't hear any ads, whoop-de-doo. Hooray. Stuart Diver's on the show and we'll get right into it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I look at the, the steward diver who was buried in Threadbow in the landslide underground for 65 hours and I go, there is no way I could do that. <laughs> you know, but it was me. <laughs> and, and then you look, talk to all these people who've been through and, and come out of these amazing rescues and traumas and they're all exactly the same. They all look at it and go, I can't believe that I survived, you know, 30 plus hours in a life raft <laughs> drifting across Bass Strait, you know, with my hip dislocated and all of this stuff. You know, how, how did I ever get through that? So that's the common thing. There's this humbleness that comes with going through something like that. And I love that because the common theme is that we should all look at ourselves and think whatever we're put in, humans are unbelievably amazingly mentally tough. We all are. We just sometimes struggle to find it. That is Stuart Diver. And this is Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Washi Ginsberg, and thank you so much for being here to be a part of this podcast. It's called Better Than Yesterday. It's been here since 2013. Um, I'm here twice a week. Mondays, I'm here with a guest. and Fridays, I'm here with you. And every episode is just here to make you, hopefully, make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's it. Something you hear on this show on every episode will help you make today 
better than yesterday. Thank you so much for the uh, feedback. Send us your email at gmail.com. The, uh, I guess the mindful noticing episodes we've been doing the last couple of Fridays, people have been really, really enjoying. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Always love to get in touch with you and always love to see where you're listening to the show, most of all. That's my favorite, favorite thing. If you've never listened to the show before, I'm Osher. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I'm a bicycle rider. I'm a sandcastle builder while my toddler destroys. He becomes Godzilla and kicks the sandcastles over. It's pretty fun because he's really into digging lately. So there's a lot of digging going on. So we went down, we rode the bicycle down the beach today and um, we did some digging, which was fun. And um, yeah, I live in Sydney, Australia, and I've been doing this podcast since 2013. We are currently locked down. Um, Everyone in our house is at some stage of the vaccinations, except for the toddler, doing our best to try and do our best. And um, I hope you're okay wherever you are. If you're in another part of the world that's out and free and running around and and, and kissing strangers, then hooray, have a good one for us. But the rest of us, we're just kind of here doing, you know, sitting on our hands and and hoping that the people in charge are going to be okay. So it is a bit of a struggle at the moment for many people in our own ways. We're, you know, we're, we're having a rocky time here and there as well. We know many people have got a lot worse than us, but this episode with Stuart Diver couldn't come at a better time. It really, really couldn't. If you're under the age of 30, you may kind of know his name, but you may not know who he is. Stuart Diver is the sole survivor of the 1997 Threadbow landslide disaster. It happened on the 30th of June in 1997. I was on air that night. I was doing overnight radio. I remember watching, you know, TV was on in the corner. There was infomercials, and then they all started cutting to this locked-off shot of a darkened hillside. And... um, Slowly, the news started to trickle in and details started to emerge that something absolutely horrible had happened. And this landslide killed 18 people, including Stuart's wife. And he was trapped next to her body for 65 hours underneath the lodge that he lived in. And he was pulled out of the rubble after been, you know, he'd been in sub-zero temperatures for three days. And the first thing he said to the rescuers was, the sky is fantastic. He was 27 years old at the time and obviously had gone through something enormously traumatic. Uh, He worked very, very hard, and we'll talk about this in this conversation, he worked very, very hard to make sure that this hugely traumatic event didn't derail the rest of his life, the rest of his career. He was a level three ski instructor at the time. He'd grown up down there. Uh, He still lives in Threadbow. He lives not far from where it all happened, actually. And he he worked really hard to get, get his life back on track. He remarried his second wife, Rosanna. They had a child together. And unfortunately, after they got back from their honeymoon, um, they found out that Rosanna had cancer and Rosanna passed away in uh, 2015. So he's a single dad now, has gone through enormous trauma, has lost two incredibly important people to him. And yet, when you hear him speak, you will just be amazed at the depth and the strength and the resilience that not only is he is capable of, that indeed we are all capable of. And I guess that's where he stood when he became the host of this new podcast, which uh, he's a part of. The podcast is called The Elements. It's out now on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can listen to it on any podcast app, really. You just type in the elements, Stuart Diver, and it'll pop up. If you're listening to this, you'll be able to hear it. He does episodes on the 1998 Sydney to Hobart yacht race disaster, the Black Summer bushfires, which we've only just been through, the Newcastle earthquake from the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and, of course, Cyclone Tracy, which uh, flattened Darwin in the 70s. 
there's really something extraordinary about speaking with Stuart Diver and he and I, we kind of got to know each other over the course of the conversation and through that conversation we touched on a few things that, like I said, if you're older than 30, you'll know who he is and the moment you see him, you're like, oh my goodness, you you lost your wife and then you got married again and then you lost your second wife and you've been through unimaginable trauma and hi, you know, what do you say to someone who so publicly has been through so much and you know, we go through that. And honestly, right now in Australia, it's a very difficult time for a lot of people. And people are being asked to do overwhelmingly hard things throughout lockdowns and financial insecurity. And people are dealing with incredible, you know, families being ill and the Delta variant really, you know, taking lives. And it's, it's bloody horrible. Listening to this conversation with Stuart Diver is an incredibly powerful thing. And I am so grateful that he came on the show and that we're able to have our conversation and that this conversation may serve as a shining bloody beacon as to what humans are actually capable of. He's an amazing man. And this really, this podcast, this is one that I'm, I'm keeping in the back pocket, like my first aid note that I keep in my wallet. I'm keeping this podcast in my back pocket to listen to when things are tough because, Jesus, man, if Stuart Diver can do it after what he's been through, I can do it. <laughs> the podcast is called The Elements. Stuart Diver's now the, uh, he's the operations manager of the Threadbow Ski Resort. So if you're lucky enough to not be in lockdown, <laughs> go say hi because <laughs> he's still there. He works every day. We, we got in touch. We, we had a chat when he was in, in between meetings. He's an amazing human being and I'm so grateful that he came on the show. Enjoy this conversation with Stuart Diver. Nice to see you. Thanks for making time to do this, mate. I'm really, uh, really grateful. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Let me first ask you this: Where, where are you? I'm, I'm in Sydney right now. I'm in, I'm in lockdown town. Um, you know, nervously checking the maps to see <laughs> if, I've, if I've accidentally exposed everyone I love to something horrible <laughs> uh, when I go and get some peanut butter. I know how crazy is it. Where are you in the world? Sunny Threadbow, so um, probably uh, for me, <laughs> very, very lucky at this point in time to be uh, able to just live a pretty normal life, although we're missing our Sydney friends um, with the lockdown, so it's not as busy as it should be, but yeah, just, I mean, a little utopia down here. So this would be the second season now that's been quite affected by the COVID pandemic. You've lived there your whole life. What's the main difference? I mean, the the problem this year is obviously Sydney is sixty percent of our market. So um, yeah, for the business, it's it's pretty hard for the whole region. You know, there's a lot of people down here who rely on. You know, we employ over a thousand staff ourselves just uh, in Threbo. So there's a lot of people who rely on us for for work and for jobs. And so yeah, it, it has been pretty hard. Um, last season was probably actually a bit easier because we had Sydney and we had all of our, our main New South Wales market. Um, we just had capacity constraints, but this year we're yeah, well and truly constrained. So yeah, lucky to be still open. We'll trade all the way to the end of the season, which will be great. And um, yeah, and just keep trucking on. You've got to do what you can do in these times, but yeah, I feel unbelievably fortunate that we're out and able to go skiing. So I'm certainly not complaining. What are the, what are the lift lines like, Stuart? <laughs> They're exactly how I planned them. Uh, very, very light. <laughs> We're taking photos of them and saying it's always like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I miss it, Ashley. I miss, you know, I know our, um, our eldest, she grew up skiing, but um, hopefully we're going to take Wolfie down. You know, we were, we were going to take him down as soon as we could, but, you know, 
yeah, it just keeps on going and going, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, and it is. It's that thing, you know. There are so many. You realize in a time like this, there are so many people who you know, absolutely love the mountains, love. Mm-hmm. Being down in a place like this, you know, I always said it's, you know, it's an amazing, I find it an amazing spiritual place. It's somewhere I find real, real freedom. And I think a lot of the people who come down to the snowy mountains and down to Threadbow, that, that's what they're missing at the moment, that part of the outdoors and that connection with nature. And it's so important. And it's, um, yeah, I reckon that's what makes it so difficult now. How, uh, how's your mountain bike? Going good. Yeah. <laughs> it's been um it's been busy. Summer was unbelievable. We I were heard. You know, well over a hundred percent up yeah. for the trails here. And it's just it's a it's a booming business. And that's the same thing. I think cycling everywhere is going through the roof and um mm. mountain biking the same. People just want to get outdoors. We finally worked it out. You know, it's actually really good for your physical health, but it's unbelievably good for your mental health to actually get out and do something. And um, you know, that's where uh yeah, we're lucky to be here. Who knew? Like it's wild, you know. The I've been through uh, all kinds of therapy, Stuart, in my life, and and one of them involved a therapist wagging her fingers in front of my face. It was based on this idea that we actually find some amount of healing by moving forward, and yeah. there's something about this psychological sensation of moving forward and looking yep. around and scanning the environment that shows us, oh no, I can cope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, one of the, I mean, as you know, I've had a very good psychologist for the last 24 years and, you know, my mental health is uh, extremely important to me because it it helps with the mental health of the people around me. But, you know, one of the keys to my mental health is that physical exercise and whether it's, you know, I used to run a fair bit, but sort of given up that, but, you know, cycling, whether it's road riding, mountain biking, skiing, all of those activities, I call it, it's my meditation. I'm, I'm not great at standard meditation. I'm not, you know, I've, I've tried it. I've gone in and out. I've dabbled. I do a bit of yoga, do a bit of Pilates, do all that sort of stuff. But really for me, it takes about 20 minutes of being outside doing, yeah, as you're saying, that that motion of going forward and that physical exercise. And then my mind starts to clear, you know, that first 20 minutes is pretty hectic. My mind's moving. It's fast. Everything that's going on in my life is going through the people I don't like, the people I like, the, you know, all of those little things are going around and around. And so but within 20 minutes, I just get into that nice state and then, then I'm away. And, you know, if I don't exercise and I can, I can do, you talk about that moving forward. I can do that on a, on a training bike especially with uh, the programs we have these days where you can ride around Paris or New York or wherever you go on the big screen and it gives you the same feeling. And I, I just, you know, for me, I, I need to have some sort of physical exercise every day or, um, or I start to struggle. I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm the same with the kids being how they are. You know, once everyone's geez, at home doing HSC and Wolfie's quite little. So I'm really lucky. I know what you say, exactly what you're saying. I used to get it from running the hardest part was putting on my shoes. As long as I got out the door, I was fine. And exactly what you're saying, by the time I got five or 10 minutes down the road, it started to lift. And then by the time I got back, I used to always say, like, I'd leave the house with a problem and I'd come back with a solution. Yeah. And it's the same with riding my bike. And, and I'm the same. I Now I just I just go upstairs. I've got a, a Zwift trainer upstairs and I just get yeah, on that. Same. <laughs> oh, mate, I love it. And so I'll, I'll just I'll I've just, seen you out there, I think. What oh, name yeah? do you go under? <laughs> I'll watch Ginsburg. I call myself myself. I do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I get up at I try nowadays I just try to get up at, at five and I just get it done early yep. in the day. And and it, that's a part of what one of the parts of the things that I do, I try to do every single day. I, there's also a fair amount of writing that I do, maybe five around. I mean, like it's a five minutes a day. 
but it's just yep. getting stuff down on paper. I find that's a part of my daily daily routine. Do you have any things that isn't really exercise that you do to keep your mental health solid? I mean, it's an interesting. I mean, I have you know, like your life. It's probably uh, unbelievably busy. <laughs> so, work. And then, you know, trying to fit in everything else that goes with uh, family life and, um, you know, being a single dad and, um, you know, looking after my 10-year-old daughter, there's a, a lot that goes on. But I, I always try um, at the end of the day, I mean, re- reading's my one. I, I, I try and just sit down and at least get, you know, half an hour to myself reading a book before I go to sleep. But it's, yeah, how do, how do you get that escape from everything else that's going on and just try and relax your mind. And that's, you know, that's definitely, you know, dabbled in, you know, meditation and, um, and, and trying to do that and relaxation tapes and, you know, all of that sort of uh, mindfulness stuff, which has its place. But, um, you know, for me, it, 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 if I am feeling that I need anything, I, I really just go outdoors. That's, yeah. that's, that's my release. Is this something that you're, you've instilled in your, in your daughter? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's hard in their lives. I think the big one for me with Alessia is screen time. Yeah, yeah just We just don't do it. Yeah. If you can, there is none of it. So, you know, I she loves reading, you know, 10 and a half. She loves school still. She loves reading. She also, you know, skiing, mountain biking, all those sort of outdoor things. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on there. But, you know, you're trying also for her to have those quiet times and be able to reflect. And, you know, she's got a lot that she needs to reflect on in her life. She's, you know, growing up without her mum and, you know, that comes with a, a lot of complexities. So, yeah, I've done a lot of work with my psychologist and we did a lot of work, you know, before, you know, Rosanna died of cancer um, with Alessia. She was only four and a half, but a lot of that stuff has stuck with her now. And I think that's set her up. You know, it's just you're trying to instill confidence in them, but you don't want them to be little smart asses. You know, it's, a, it's the fine line. Yeah. You, you want to give them lots of uh, opportunities, but you don't want them to be entitled. So, you know, it's, it's a fine balance. But, um, yeah, and I think it's becoming more difficult, you know, as we go on for parents. But um, trying to do the best just to keep keep it simple, and, and that can be really difficult in this world. I've had a job in the public eye since I started radio when I was 20 and I started on television when I was 25 and people look at my face, they might not remember my name, but they look at my face and they associate my face with either uh, watching Guy Sebastian win a show or, you know, the first time they watched a music video on Channel V or when they hear me whispering on The Bachelor. So within the first three seconds, it's usually a happy memory that they remember as soon as they meet me for the very first time. Yep. You are also a very recognisable person with a very recognisable name for very yep. different reasons. What kind of skills have you had to develop around meeting people for the first time who suddenly go and grapple with, oh, shit, now I'm face-to-face yep. with the man? Yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting one, isn't it? You hit the nail on the head right there. That, and you're very similar to me in the, the fact that we end up with people just coming up who are so positive because, you know, I always say if you're a criminal, imagine that in life, how yeah. terrible that would be because uh, everyone's going to have a shot at you and try and take you down. But for you and I, it's a positive experience and they just, they're so excited to meet you that, that with me, there's a real emotional attachment to me. Everyone remembers where they were on that day when the landslide, you know, ended. And if they don't remember and they're too young, then possibly their parents have told them about it, et cetera. But yeah, and for me, I find it a really positive experience. You know, they come up, people want to hug you. They want to just say, I'm just so, and, and, and it can be difficult sometimes because I, you know, I always go back, yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased to meet you as well. You know, you're an amazing person too, just because I happen to go through something pretty ordinary in my life doesn't really make me special. And I think that as 
long as I remember that in the back of my mind, that I'm really no different to anyone else, just happened to go through an unfortunate situation and, and come out at the other end. And I think that, yeah, you know, I, I feed off their positivity and I actually love it. And yeah, for me, I always said, never see myself as being a celebrity, didn't want to be out there, tried to steer myself away from any of that sort of stuff. But you can't do it in this day and age with media and everything else. I mean, I don't have a social media profile. I you know, don't post, don't do any of that sort of stuff. But even in just the traditional media, you now my face is still out there and people know who you are. But I find it such a positive experience. I actually find it uplifting. But I'm sure that you know some people wouldn't quite know what to do. I remember when I was a kid, the first time I met someone who I knew someone close to them had passed away, I remember not knowing how to deal with it because I'd never dealt with it before. Do you ever find yourself having to guide people through the, the interaction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you, if you look at me, if you look at the two big things that happened in my life, obviously, you know, I've lost two wives, both in very different circumstances. And a lot of people find that very, very difficult to talk about. Yeah, because it is. I mean, I I put myself in their position. I mean, how do you broach that? How do you say whatever? Mm. So what you end up doing is, and others in the same situation find the same thing, is you end up having to coach them through it. (laughs) You end up having to help them through it. And then through that, hopefully they open up. So there's sort of two types of friends or people you have in your life. Some of them can't deal with it and they end up just going away. And generally speaking, they never really come back because it's all just too much for them. Or you have the other ones like myself who who take it on head on, are happy to discuss, you know, all of those more emotional subjects and then go, as you say, you know, go forward with it and use it. But it, it, it can be really difficult because we are awkward. Western society, we do death terribly. You know, we don't discuss it. We don't celebrate it. We don't do anything. And, you know, one of the big things, you know, I talk about Alessia, but, you know, one of the big things we've done with her is, you know, looking at such a tragic event of losing your mum when you're four and a half, but using that to say, well, what positives can we get out of that? And people looking again, how can you get anything positive out of that? But, you know, I look at Rosanna, I look at the way that she lived her life and what she instilled in Alessia in her short time, what we shared in our relationship and using all of those positive memories to create that platform for Alessia to go forward so that we're not just sitting there in a dark room, you know, staring at the walls, wondering, you know, why did my life go so tragically wrong? We're looking at the fact that what I want is I want her life to be positive. And the only way we're going to do that is to be able to look at those memories and use them to, in a positive way to go forward. And I try to share that with everyone around, you know, so whoever's talking to me, I talk openly about, you know, my life, the tragedies that have gone on, but I try and do it in a way to show, you know what, you can actually go through this stuff, big or small tragedies. We all go through them in our lives or traumas and come out the other end. And I think that's the bit that in sharing stories with people or in you know, having that ability to interact with people, I think we're, we've actually been given a role or I've been given a role to be able to try and make people talk about death in a, in a way that's positive and that we can move forward, talk about mental health in that way. You know, you've done an enormous amount of work in, in that area as well. And the, the more we talk about it, then hopefully it'll become easier for us. It'll be easier for the media to deal with that and they won't just have to sensationalise stories and focus on whatever they want to to get the headlines. It'll, it'll be more of an open conversation and that's, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. We have, but absolutely, as a culture, 
in our particular culture of Australia, indeed, it's different from other countries, we're so afraid of losing something or so afraid of going through something traumatic because we we don't really lionize or tell the stories of our capacity for resilience, our capacity to cope, our capacity to figure it out, our capacity yeah. to find a way to be okay. And because of that, it becomes even more scary. What would you say to people about that? Well, I think the issue, and you know, you've alluded to it there, the issue is we've created a society of fear. And whether it's through media, social media, you know, all of the other channels that are going on, a lot of it is politics. A lot of it is based on fear and negativity. And the hardest thing for humans is we, we tend to feed on that and we tend to drag ourselves down. So rather than saying, you know, I'm going to let my kid walk to school because it's unbelievably safe, we say, no, no, I'm not going to do that because they might get kidnapped. And we all know that the chance of them getting kidnapped is basically zero. <laughs> like it's just so stupid. But because we've programmed our minds with that fear, that's how we start to think. And we think about that in every day in our life. So the way that I try and look at it is saying, okay, something terrible could happen at any point in our life, we could be in a car crash, we could do any of that sort of stuff. But if we waste our time dwelling on that and thinking about that, then we don't have any other time to look at all the positive stuff going on in our lives. And I reckon even in the most negative, traumatic situation in your life, there'll be one positive that you can focus on. And you would have been in this position, I'm sure. There were days there I was in such a place of darkness that the only thing I could do, the only positive thing was get out of bed. And then that was it. And then I went back to darkness again. But I focused on, well, I got out of bed today, so this is pretty good. Maybe tomorrow something better will happen. And as time went on, and it's the worst thing you can ever say to people who've been through trauma, it just takes time. But the reality is, as time went on, my mind started to adjust and I was able to look at those opportunities that came up. You know, people always say, oh, you know, nothing good ever happens in my life. I don't subscribe to that. You know, we all have opportunities, you know, regardless of where you live, regardless of what you do, but it's the ability to be able to look at those in a positive way, to be able to, you know, grasp those opportunities and then use them to move forward and live in a positive way. Still understanding that there are going to be a lot of negative things, you know, going on in your life. And, and you know, my psychologist and I, we've worked a lot on that. We did a lot of it with Rosanna in, in trying to lock away positive memories from things that are happening right now in my life. So it might, might have been a beautiful bottle of wine that we both shared or, or, a, or a beautiful walk in the mountains or whatever it is, but actually taking the time out to lock away the memory of that, not just saying, oh, that was really cool. Thanks very much. See you later. But saying that was an amazingly positive thing. Why was it? Oh, because I was sharing that with the person I love the most in the world. So then when something maybe tragic happens to that person and you know we we in that situation were fortunate in one way or unfortunate in the fact that you know we knew that Rosanna was going to die at some point we didn't know the timeline but we were able to pre-grieve and do all of that sort of stuff you know when Sally died I wasn't able to do that that was the full traumatic no goodbye see you later and that is unbelievably hard to deal with. So I learned a lot from that. And so with Rosanna, you know, did it completely the different way. And, and we did that with Alessia as well, even at four and a half, like lock away all of those really cool memories. So now when she reflects back on her mum, she's reflecting on a great meal that they cooked together or a cake that they made and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, unbelievably difficult to do. And 
takes a bit of time to do, but to give you the ability to then deal with that tragedy or deal with something going wrong in your life, it's so important to be able to do that because then you have that ability to say, okay, that was a terrible thing that happened in my life, but wow, you know, I shared it with the person I care for most in the world. Wow, that fits in with my beliefs and my value system. And mm, that's great, maybe, you know, and I might be able to share that with someone else in the future. How great would that be? And so then rather than looking backwards and saying how sad and, and you are allowed to do that, of course, feel sorry for yourself. I've got no problem with that at all, but don't do that all the time. You know, use those experiences to, to drive yourself forward. And the bit that I always come back to is you would know, you know, it's not easy to do. It's bloody hard to do. You know, it's much easier to wallow in the corner and in your misery and just drink yourself to sleep every night. That's a much easier path to take. You know, looking after your mental health is a bloody hard thing to do. And I think that that's what puts a lot of people off. It really is. It's like learning to juggle chainsaws if you've never, ever learned to juggle before. Like it's way easier to leave them all on the ground. But bloody hell, it's worth it. Because the thing is, if you don't do anything about it, that is how it's going to stay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And you're in that forever. That's what, imagine, I always say, imagine if you had a broken leg for life. Oh my God, yes. People who have depression, have that's what it's like having. It is, you know, just because it's in your brain doesn't mean that it's not as debilitating. And so, you know, would you walk around with your broken leg for life? No, you wouldn't. You know, you'd go and try and get some help. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's really the key. And I think we are doing a much better job of that in society. And I'm not the, I'm not the guy to go out and, you know, the, the American style of, you know, I have a therapist for me, a therapist for the dog, a therapist for the cat. You know, I, I don't think we need to go down that path. But when there's something not going quite right in your mental health, you know, you have to reach out. And, and, and you know, whether it's a counsellor, whether, you know, other mental health professionals, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever it is, as long as you can relate to that person, as long as they can, you know, they're good at what they do, which hopefully most of them are, then, um, yeah, why, why wouldn't you reach out and do that? But it's the same as, a, as you know, I go back to the broken leg one. You, you then, you know, you have to go and see a physio and you have to do all of this follow-up stuff. I think that we've, we think that, oh, I just go and see my therapist for an hour or I go and see my counsellor or my psychologist and that's it. No, 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 no. <laughs> when you get out, that's when the hard work begins and that's the only way you get change. And in the initial days after the landslide, you know, I did four-hour sessions with my psychologist and they were brutal. You know, and he had to go and get counselling and debrief after sitting with me for four hours. But for me, that was the only way I managed to get through that. But then if I just walked out and just said, oh, thanks very much. That's great. I'm all cured now. No, there was another four-hour session the next day. And we just did these over and over again until I finally got to a point, yeah, actually, I can deal with this and I am able to function. And that's the only reason, you know, 24 years on, I'm here, you know, and able to talk to you and, and do what I can do. So, you know, hopefully people, you know, will look at me and say, "Mm, you know what, it actually does work. (laughs) You're a walking, talking demonstration of why it's important and what is possible, you know, what really is possible and the possibility of of resilience and the possibility of of coping. So often when we have these fears that you mentioned, whether they be around relationships or something intense and ambiguous like climate change or, or something like, a lot of the time we, it's terrifying because we cannot, we cannot foresee that it would ever be okay ever again, you know, but it actually is and will be, and we'll figure it out. And it's just absolutely trying to put that idea into your brain. You might not know what it looks like yet, but just trust that it's there and that you'll, yeah. you will figure it out. Stuart, you, it's, as you mentioned, and so generously, so you've seen extraordinary trauma 
all different angles of it and your pathway out of that to a quite incredibly functioning, viable, great dad, human that's out there and not causing harm to others based upon any kind of chip on your shoulder. Like you're doing amazing, like amazing. You're a gold medal, right? When you started working on this podcast, The, the Elements, which is talking to survivors of uh, natural disasters, did you start to see commonalities? 100%. It's, and it is amazing. It's the thing that really interested me in getting into this, you know, when I was originally approached uh, by Tim and Slade to, to do it. And it was the fact that everyone has amazing stories to tell. Every, every story of the different traumas they've been through is so different, yet the way that people came out of it is so, so similar. So, and everyone goes, oh, you must be amazing to have got through that. You know, I just reflecting on my own life, you know, I look at the, the steward diver who was buried in Threadbow in the landslide underground for 65 hours. And I go, there is no way I could do that, <laughs> you know, but it was me. <laughs> and, and then you look, talk to all these rescue, you know, these people who've been through and, and come out of these amazing rescues and traumas. And they're all exactly the same. They all look at it and go, I can't believe that I survived, you know, 30 plus hours in a life raft <laughs> drifting across Bass Strait, you know, with my hip dislocated and all of this stuff. You know, how, how did I ever get through that? So that's the common thing. There's this humbleness that comes with going through something like that. And I love that because the common theme is that we should all look at ourselves and think whatever we're put in, humans are unbelievably amazingly mentally tough. We all are. We just sometimes struggle to find it. And that for me is the, the common theme that comes through all of these guys. They all come out and then at the end of it, they all take life so simply and they just say, okay, that was pretty ordinary, but I got through it. Now, how am I going to live my life or live their lives? And they all live it in exactly the same way a really positive way, looking for the opportunities and driving it forward. Now, sure, they have their lows and like all of us, you know, we, I, I mean, I tried to drink my way through it on, in the early days and you know, 27-year-old male, I thought that was the best way to do it. It didn't work. Um, luckily, I had good people around me who pointed me in the right direction. So we all, ha we don't get it right all the time, but we generally speaking, despite all of the traumas they've been through in those stories, they all did the same thing. They came out, they grasped life, and they lived it to the absolute fullest all the way through. And I think that's the key. There are people who do go through big traumas, never get over them, and their lives are destroyed. But the key with all of the people that we've spoken to is that they didn't do that. They grasped it and they, and they went forward in such a positive way. And that's, for me, that's the bit that I love about those common stories. Yeah, the, the podcast focuses on, it's called The Elements, it focuses on earth, air, fire and water, the Sydney to Hobart yacht race disaster, which you mentioned in 1998, uh, the Black Summer bushfires, the Newcastle earthquake and Cyclone Tracy. Three out of those four would have been pretty easy to get footage and research of. But from what I know about Cyclone Tracy, it was way, way worse than the rest of Australia was led to believe, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that was just amazing, you know, doing the research and looking at this story and then, and then trying to find, it's all about trying to find a slightly different angle on the story. I yeah. mean, we all know what happened, you know, bushfires, you know, Sydney Hobart and we, and, you know, Newcastle, Earth case, we think we know what happened in Cyclone Tracy, but the team did an amazing job in finding 
just that unique story and putting a different spin on it. And and yeah, it it was like mind blowing when you when you think of what happened. But that you know, it was in the days pre, you know, being able to drop a satellite dish in and, and get footage out and do all of that sort of stuff. So I I agree with you. I don't think anyone had any idea of what it was like. And how devastating it still is for people who went through that even this many years on. And I think that's really the key that the, the common thread with all of these people who've survived things is it stays with you for life. You can do all the therapy you want. You can do whatever you want. It, you live it every day. You know, I'm the same. I still live my story every day, but it's how I live it. And that's what makes the key. So I, I could, you know, live it in that terrible negative woe me way, um, which occasionally you get into that that sphere and that's fine, but I don't. And I think that that's the common thread of all these people, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, it's, someone has a, a tragic car crash. It, it stays with you forever, but it's how, how you deal with it is the key. And that's, and that's what I love about, you know, the stories of everyone in these, these element series. And, and that's the whole idea of doing it is to try and show you can go through something really negative, come out the other end and still live, you know, a relatively positive life. For a lot of people, they may not be aware of the, they have a choice of how to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, it comes back to that way. We probably have been programmed by how we were brought up by society, by everything else on on how you deal with things. And then, you know, the classic of when it's time, if you lost a partner, when it's time to move on, you know, all of those sort of things, you know, and is there a right or a wrong way to do death? You know, all of, you know, there's there's so many complexities in it that I think we end up going into our shells or a lot of people do go into their shells and we internalize it and we don't talk about it. And you can see that, you know, Vietnam veterans, you know, there's a lot of people who go through, you know, the the guys coming back from Afghanistan now and, you know, the Middle East, there's a lot of trauma going on there. And, you know, we haven't even seen that play out, but they internalize it. And a lot of people do. And it is the worst thing you can ever do. Because I look at it, it's like a cancer. It just eats you from the inside. And it's not about going out and just going blah, 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 and talking endlessly about what you went through and your trauma, because you'll end up having no friends left then either. (laughs) But it's about doing it the right way. And it's about giving yourself permission to say, I've actually been through something bad here. And and I always go that, you know, my traumas in my life were big and they were public, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, someone's broken nail can be someone else's broken femur. It, it's all relative to you, your personality and how you deal with things. But you really do need to give yourself permission to deal with what has gone on in your life. And to do that in today's society, there's a couple of things that I always focus on. And that is, you've got to try and keep it as simple as you can, because we overcomplicate absolutely everything in our lives. And the reality is, if you've been through something traumatic, you know, and all of the survivors in the different stories in the elements, it's the same thing. They just simplified everything. They just keep it simple. And the best way to do that, you know, we talked about going out in the outdoors and doing that is, is to get rid of the noise, to get rid of all of the rubbish that's going on in your life that is just absolutely irrelevant, that's coming in, whether it is, and I always harp back on the social media, media, social media, anything else that's going, it can be friendships. You know, it can be a friendship that's just not positive and it's just not driving anywhere. And it's, you know, there's nothing going on. That's noise. You know, have, have, the intestinal fortitude, I suppose, to to be able to deal with that stuff and say, you know, that's not me. I need to give myself space to deal with what's going on in my life. And I need to be supported by people around me. 
to be able to do that. And if you, you know, you're not on my island and we're not doing that, then that's fine. But uh, I need to go in this direction. I need time to do it. And if you can take the complexities and all of that noise out, then you really do then give yourself the opportunity to be able to live a positive life and to be able to move forward. And never, ever, it's never disrespecting what's gone before. You know, you've got to keep that. Whether you've had a, a mental illness or you're still struggling with it or you've been through a physical trauma or whatever it is or you've lost a partner or lost a child or, you know, any of those major sort of things that go in your life, you're not forgetting them. There's no guilt you know, involved in saying, look, I pretty well think I've dealt with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on now. You know, you give yourself permission to do it. Really unbelievably difficult to do in a lot of situations, but so necessary. When I th- I'm just listening to you, man, you're, you're just this, <laughs> there's this font of wisdom when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, and, and rightly so. You've done huge amounts of work to allow yourself to have the life you have every day and allow yourself to be there for you know, your daughter. It's just listening to you speak, it's so generous that you would share your perspectives and like, I've got to thank you for it. To talk a little bit about about the podcast, I guess I'm, the landslide you spoke of happened, happened in 1997. So mental health as a part of almost triage for you, even at that point was, okay, this is an important thing we have to talk about. I can't imagine in Cyclone Tracy in 74 that there was anything like that. No, no, not at all. I mean, it would have just been toughened up and away you go, get back into your normal life. And and that's where, and I know that, I mean, you look at, you know, similar time, a little bit earlier, you know, Vietnam vets, but there was nothing. You just got home and you just went back to your normal life. So you internalised everything. And I think that shows, you know, and it, it is, it's the trauma that people have been through. Number one, the harder it is to deal with, the longer you let it go. There's a lot of examples of that. But I think that, you know, looking at Cyclone Tracy and looking what people went through there is a really good example of why it is so important now to look after your, your mental health. And it's interesting, you know, John Stanley, you know, he says in the in the City to Hobart episode, I didn't go and see a council. I didn't do anything. I, I just dealt with it myself. But in doing that, he he did take a lot of steps as if he was. I mean, he spoke about it a lot. He, you know, he had a great support, you know, in his wife. He had a you know, partner. There was all of those things going on. And I think that that's the key. There's not one way to do it. You do not have to go and get a psychologist to look after your mental health. There's a million different ways of doing it. But what you have to do is you have to acknowledge that there is an issue. And if you've been through something big in your life and it's big to you and it's traumatic to you, then deal with that. And that can be as small as being bullied at school or being bullied on social media or whatever it is, that can be massively traumatic to someone. I mean, people are taking their lives because that's happening to them. So obviously it's traumatic. Now, how do you deal with that? The first way to do it is is talk. Talk about it. Talk to your friends. Make people know that that's what's going on in your life. You know, talk to the school counsellor. Go and do those sort of initial steps. And then that may be enough for you to deal with it. You may feel supported enough. You know, it's it's all tiered as it goes up, but you have to first acknowledge that there's an issue and, I, and I'm feeling really bad about this and I'm not on my own. And then hopefully um, I can find some support and some people to help me deal with it. Sometimes, and I completely understand it, 
we may be trying to support those around us who've gone through trauma, but part of their process is anger. Part of their process of keeping themselves safe is anger and fury at what has happened to them, whether it be a car accident or this person didn't build the set of stairs properly and now I can't walk. What would you say about trying to be around someone or trying to help someone or just support someone who's going in those early stages when they are going through those phases of anger? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the key is, you know, and it always sounds, you know, <laughs> it's easy to say, but the key is to listen. That's all it is. You know, let people be angry. Ang- anger is a way that you're emotionally dealing with the pain and the suffering that you're going through. And people always say, you know, you go through all those steps, you're angry, angry first, and then you move along and, you know, then you come out of it and life's going to be amazing. No, like you can still be, I can still be angry about the landslide and what happened. Like there's still, yeah. Well, if someone had just done that or, you know, if I'd made this choice, you know, and not moved into that apartment, you know, six weeks before the landslide, that would have been a much better decision, Stuart. You can still have that, but the ability for someone, and and it's really crucial in that early stage, if people are feeling angry and they don't feel heard, they will internalize it for life. And then that anger comes out in the pub six months later and they belt someone in the head and everyone goes... What happened? What, did, what, what was going on there? Like, that's unbelievable. If you allow people to talk and it's not, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to say, no, no, that's right. That car crash was caused by that person and you have every right to feel angry. It's not entering into the conversation. It's purely just letting them talk about it. And the key to that is when they do, as you know, the more you talk about it, the more your mind can process it. But the, the worst thing to do in those really early stages, whether someone's, you know, lost someone tragically and they're angry about that or whatever it is, is to start giving people advice. It's the worst thing ever because they will automatically just block you out. They don't want to hear advice from you. You know, they don't want to hear advice from me, you know, and I'm, it's the hardest thing for me because I love giving people advice. <laughs> but my psychologist always said, Stuart, one rule, never become a pop psychologist, which is probably what I'm doing today, so I shouldn't be doing it. But <laughs> No, um, no, no, no. Yeah. You're in the context of an interview talking about your own experience. This is totally fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tell you, man, it's okay. But you, you know what it's like. You, the last thing you ever want in life is someone giving you advice when you're hurting. These, you know, You're going through something majorly traumatic in your life or you've been just through it. You're angry. The, you're hating the world. You're hating everything. The last thing you need is someone sitting there giving you advice. You just want to tell someone what it feels like to you to have had someone die in your life or to have had just a, you know, fall down the stairs and become disabled or whatever it is that's gone on in your life. You just want someone to listen. And, and if you can get that instilled in someone who's been through a trauma or a traumatic experience in their life, then that'll stay with them forever. And I'll, I'll just give you a really a key example of that in my life. So when I got taken out of the landslide, I got airlifted out of Threbo. Like I felt so good. I thought I was just going straight down to the pub and catching up with people, having a few beers. I thought that everyone else in the building was alive. I was on the bottom level, except for obviously Sally. I was on the bottom level. So I was the last one out. Cool. Took them a few days to get to me, but no dramas. Down the pub, have a beer and away we go. I didn't, did not realize the seriousness of anything going on, including my own physical well-being. So I get airlifted to hospital. The next day, the police come in and start interviewing me in the hospital bed. So from 18 hours after the landslide, I am talking directly about the landslide with the limited knowledge I had from the little cocoon that I'd been in with Sally. 
So from that point on, I, I hated that. And I actually despised them for coming in doing that, going, how insensitive are you? You know, what's, why are you asking about all these people? Aren't they down the pub having a beer? I'm going to catch up with them later, not realizing the enormity of the situation and the fact that everyone else had died in that building. Um, so I was angry at them. But now I look back at it, and I'm so thankful because they got me talking from day one and that stayed with me forever so whether it was the you know i had there was a beautiful nurse in hospital at that time with me and at night she'd just sit down next to my bed and let me just tell my story and i'd just talk about sally and even earlier than that you know talking to paul featherston when i was still under there you know he was asking about sally and asking about all the amazing things that we must have done in our lives i didn't realize at the time he was just trying to keep me alive you know, so from that point, I've been talking about that one experience and that stayed with me for life. So sure, at times I've probably spoken about it to people and they couldn't be bothered listening or, you know, whatever went on or, or I wasn't talking about in a, in a great positive fashion driving forward. But the reality is I talked about it and then six months, eight months later, when I actually sat down properly with a psychologist, I was able to talk about it in the way that I needed to, to be able to cognitively deal with it. But it's that ability to be able to talk. And I think that that's what we really miss via so many reasons in this the society that we live in. We just don't really have that ability to talk about hard things. We'll get back to Stuart Diver in just a moment. I'm going to have to play an ad or two. Or not. Depends on what the algorithm does. You may get an ad or you may not get an ad. It's, it's a bit of a, you know, bit of a lucky dip. Before I do play the ad, though, I just wanted to take a moment to... Um, just remind you of the other podcast I'm doing at the moment with James Matheson. It's called Idol Australians. You can find it in the podcast app. You're listening to this right now on IDLE Australians. Jim and I explore the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture, but we also catch up. We're old friends. We've been we've known each other for over 20 years. And um, this week, you know, we're both in lockdown and we're both kind of up against it. And that did come through in the show a little bit. It's a podcast that tries to hit the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. And we are going through Australian history right now, Jimmy, of COVID-2021. And it's doing my head in. I've found it difficult seeing all the hysteria and then also being in lockdown for a couple of months. And then they shut Golden Century Seafood Restaurant and... It was very hard for me to stay balanced and stay a calm, cool, still breeze. You can listen to Idle Australians where you found this podcast, I-D-L-E Australians. Just type that into the search engine and uh, off you pop. We'll get back to Stuart Diver in just a sec. You might hear an ad here. You might not. Let's see what happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Your story has taken you around the world. You've obviously spoken to other people from around the world who've, who've been in similar, uh, you know, horrible situations. Working on the podcast, you're speaking with a lot of survivors. Is there, is there anything, I guess, uniquely Australian about the way that these people handled what happened to them? I think there is. I mean, there's two uniquely Australian things that we do. One, one is, I'll get back to the individuals, but one is, as a collective, Australians do trauma and disasters amazingly well. We pull together. You know, whether we're rescuers, whether we're the people involved, whether we're family, friends, we pull together and we do an amazing job of getting through those times. And I always look at it and say, it'd be awesome if we could just do that all the time, <laughs> you know, but Australians do have that unique ability to put whether, and even whether it's drought, whether it's whatever it is, we always, you know, pull together and look after it, look out for each other. As individuals, I think that Australians, we do have that little bit of extra grit and a little bit, and it's sort of hard to say because then you're saying that others don't have that. <laughs> but we do, I, I think we live in a, a relatively harsh environment. We're a young, a young nation. You know, we've come from, I always say, you know, I was so fortunate. My mum and dad's Scottish and the Scottish are known for their, uh, you know, ability to get through hardship and to deal with stuff. And I think that that as individuals and in talking to everyone in the podcast, they have that common thread of there is that little bit of grit and determination to get through things. And I don't know whether it comes from, you know, I always say that they, every, the common thread and that came through is everyone had something to live for. And I think that in Australia, because we are a relatively lucky country and we have a lot going for us in our lives, it's much easier to have something to live for. I can imagine if you're in a refugee camp, you know, somewhere in the Middle East, not so easy to see what the light at the end of the tunnel is and, and come through something. But, you know, for me, even in my situation, I'd, you know, lost the person I loved the most in the world in Sally, but I'd also experienced what an amazing, intimate, re- loving, caring relationship can be like. And I thought, what a waste of, of, of Sally's life if I don't get through this, don't survive, don't get out, not only just for me surviving, but for me to then share that story. And even at that point, I was thinking, and, you know, maybe experience that with someone else again, you know, and people would go, man, you know, and what, what are you talking about? You know, your wife had just died. And, and, you know, even looking at that same concept with, you know, when Rosanna was alive, Rosanna and I openly spoke about who I might be going out with next after Rosanna had died. You know, she was saying, well, I think that this person would be a, you know, a really good mum for Alessia and this and that. I'd be going, ah, yeah, maybe, you know, having that open conversation. And that's the beautiful thing of the human mind to be able to say, you know what, I do have stuff to live for. I have something to live for. And I think that if there's one common thread that comes through all of those people who've survived major traumas, it is they knew what they were going to live for. And I think that sadly in society, you know, we're so focused on material things. We're so focused on the right here, right now, I want some excitement. Where are we going? We're not actually sure what we're here for. We're not sure why we're living we're not having those discussions with our children and saying, you know, what, what is it? Oh, yeah, you can just jump on your iPad and I'll talk to you in three hours when you've um, got bored with that. We're not getting into that that reason. And, and it's a hard thing to do. I mean, as a 27-year-old, 
pre the landslide living life in Threadbow as a scheme structure. Did I know what I was doing, where I was going? You know, did I know what my belief system was? Probably not, but it was there. You know, I knew that I cared for people. I knew that I that I loved people, that I knew that I liked sharing things. You know, I had all of those sort of basic beliefs and values. And I think that, that that's sort of a big one for me. That's given me the platform to be able to. And I, and I think for a lot of the people in the podcast, it was the same, that same thing. That's gave them the platform to then get through the tragedy and go forward. And whether that's an Australian-specific thing, you know, I'd like to think it's all over the world. But, it, you know, I, I think we are very, very fortunate where we live. And you live in, in the mountains of Australia, a extraordinarily beautiful part of our country, a part of the country that a lot of people overseas don't believe exists. No, there's actually snow in Australia and it's really lovely. Having lived there the whole time though, it's a very fragile environment, a fragile ecosystem. You would have you would have noticed it changing over the course of your life. You would have noticed it changing and there's a an entire episode of your podcast. Crikey, mate, your life was changed by an extreme weather event. You know, mm. There's a whole episode of your podcast when you talk about, okay, well, this is what's coming down the pipe. We can't change that, but we can change how we look at it. What do you think about when you think of your own kid, when you think of the community you live in, when you think of our country? What do you think about the next 20, 30 years and what we might need to start thinking about having in our toolkits as Australians? Oh, yeah. I mean, Threadbow is a great place to, to look at, you know, what's happening with climate change where it's going and how serious it is. I mean, there's always solutions to things. You know, we've got snowmaking now. We've got all of those. There's technological solutions to things. But I think the biggest one that we need currently is we need leadership. We need political leadership in regards to climate change because if we're talking about fear in society and fear about what's going on around us, I think... You know, there's a lot of the other issues that we can deal with and we can put policies in place and we can do stuff. I think with climate change, we have to begin to understand that it is real, it is now, and that if we don't do anything about it, then, yeah, we're going to be in all sorts of trouble in 20 years' time. In saying that, because of who I am, I believe that we will get to that point. I believe that there'll be solutions to some of the big climate issues that we've got. But until as a collective society in Australia and around the world, but really in Australia, we should be world leaders. Until we start making those hard decisions, it's like what we've spoken about before, you know, your mental health, all of that, you've got to make hard decisions. Now, hard decisions that I made in regards to my mental health 24 years ago pay dividends now. We need government we need business to make hard decisions in regard to the climate and in regard to what's going on so that the, you know, Alessia, when she's my age, has something similar to what I'm enjoying now. And if we continue down the path we're going and, you know, I don't want to be that fear monger, that's not going to happen. You know, we can look for technological solutions. I mean, we can make snow at plus 20 now, hideously expensive, but we can still do it. So there, there will be solutions. We'll still be skiing, but will it be in an environment or a climate that we want if there's no trees around or if, you know, it's just constantly in drought up here and, and nothing ever grows? I mean, it is a massively big issue for us, but it's the same thing and the same way that I deal with everything is let's just simplify it back down to what it is 
that we need to do. Let's take away the noise. Let's take away the naysayers and the the people who are the non-believers. That's fine. Have your opinion. But let's actually focus on what do we need to do to resolve not just the climate change issues right now today, but to do things that will be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, our kids and their kids will look back and respect what we did at this point of time in the world. And I think, you know, I know I speak to people who get really depressed around the whole issue of climate and what's going on in the world and can't see any future and maybe we've gone too far and we've, we're already over the precipice and it's done. I, I don't believe that at all. I, I believe that there are solutions to all of the issues we currently have, but the time is now to make those decisions and to get rid of the politics and to do something that's actually right for the country and for the world to make sure that our kids have a place that I want them to be able to live in and enjoy. I couldn't have said it better. And and a part of that that hopeless worry that I was talking about before, I mean, the worry because I cannot picture a, a future. And I was figuring out the other day in the very same note taking and the writing that I do over my morning coffee before I go get the baby out of bed. A lot of that was, I didn't realize that I was projecting the problems of the future, but also projecting that the same, shall we say, clueless people who are lacking solid leadership will also still be in charge. But that won't be the case at all. It'll be people who've grown up with these issues, who have an entirely different leadership style, who have an entirely different idea of the stakes, who will be prepared to go, sorry, Gold Coast, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Uh, 100%. Yeah. I, I think that in, you're, you're right. And I love talking about this. I have a hugely positive view of the generations coming after us and coming through. I believe, number one, they're going to be amazingly educated. It's the upside of, of the internet and of social media because there's some amazing stuff out there. They are going to have, as you said, a completely different style of leading. And you can see that's already coming through business. It's already the young business leaders. It's already coming in some ways into politics as younger people get into politics. I have great faith that they will come in and do that. The, the, The bit that depresses me currently is why can't, the people currently in politics see that. And and what, why are we politicking? Why, why aren't we leading? You know, and we're not even going to go down that rabbit hole, but currently there is a complete and utter void in Australian politics of any leadership whatsoever across all parties. Oh, yeah. if, if we continue down that path, that is really depressing, but it can change very, very quickly. And we've seen that around the world and whether it's through protests or whether it's through other ways, really proactive ways, we can change it around really quickly. And so when I look forward and I project forward, I think of not, oh no, it might just be endless drought and there might not be any water left in Threbo and we won't be skiing and nothing will be going on. Sure, we can prepare for a few of those things, but I look at it and say, it's not even going to happen because society and what we do, you know, it comes back to that thing. We always pull together. We work together. We will do it. And humans are amazing in what they can achieve in very, very quick time. So it'll just be whether it's forced upon us or whether we can be proactive enough now to be able to make those difficult choices, that's debatable. But we will come out of it at the end. It may be a slightly changed world. It may not look as it looks 
completely the same now, but I, I do have, and you know, it's, it's sort of easy for me. I'm sitting in this beautiful utopia surrounded by thousands of hectares of national park. And, you know, so it is a bit different if I was sitting in a concrete block in the city, it might seem slightly more depressing, but I, I truly believe there are solutions and we will get out of it. But I just wish we would make those choices now rather than waiting for the next group of leaders to come through and then put it all on them. You ever going to run for the Senate, Stuart? That's <laughs> funny. Someone couldn't pay me enough. I've been asked a few times. It's funny. It comes up a few times whether you're going to get into it. You know what? I, I don't think I could uh, be uh, – I'd, I'd just be depressed if I was in there. I don't know that under the current regime and current yeah. system whether um, whether you can get anywhere. I mean, I look at someone like Peter Garrett who went in there with, yeah. you know, the amazing ideas, ideals, you know, had come from, you know, a great background, you know, in the political movements and, yeah, and just got – absolutely destroyed by the system and yeah i don't think i could put myself through it i think my, my day job now is uh, a lot more fun <laughs> and i think that's the saddest part of this you're the second person i've talked to this week who i'm like and uh, the other one was mike cannon brooks it was like the really sad part about our current system of government in australia is that the best people for the job are not interested in going anywhere near the job and so no. only the people who are willing to roll around in the swill and play that dirty game mm. are the ones that get the job and then we get the results that come because of that. And so I don't know, for me, I guess, Stuart, it's the any system that encourages that is probably not the best system for all of us. And I, I guess as far as reforms go in this country, yeah, we need climate change reform. I, I, for me personally, I'm like, a bit of democratic reform probably wouldn't go astray. You know, if this is a system that we're left with, that has left us these leaders, then that's who they are because that's what the system has designed to spit out at the other end. We might need to figure out this system because the best people for the job aren't going anywhere near it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that is true. And there's a myriad of reasons why the best people are not going towards it. And you know, it can come down to financial, it can come down to time constraints, all of that sort of stuff as to why people are not going in there. But I agree, if we don't have something, you know, and at the end of the day, we all have to be responsible too, because we all voted for mm. those people in there. Now, sure, they may not have been the best choices, but it is a democratic society. Yeah. We are putting our, our votes on the ballot paper and we're putting these people in there. So we have to take responsibility for that. How you encourage the good people to get into politics? Um, you know, I don't definitely don't think the US system is the best way of doing it. But I agree with you. There has to be a better way. And you know, the bit that interests me, if if I could see there was a skerrick of me having an ability to make change, then that would interest me in going in to that area. I, if you knew that you were going to do it. So maybe if 10 people bandied together, you know, and got in and, and then you could really make a change. But I think I agree any of the major political parties currently, there's no use joining because the ability to change or do anything is um, very, very limited. Well, your ability to, certainly your ability to influence the public's perception and, you know, the, the public's idea and, and let's be honest, fairly influential members of the public when you consider your clientele is, is still pretty intense as, you know, working up there in Threadbow, your ability to influence policy and when people go skiing with their families and they see the, you know, particular things and changes you're making around the resort and environmental aspects of that you're taking into consideration that might you know, it normalizes. It's like wearing masks at the shops. Like, oh, everyone else is doing it. Maybe I should do it too. It's like, oh shit, yeah. everyone else is doing it. Maybe I should do it too. And so don't underestimate your ability to influence people in your day-to-day job. It's huge. Oh, absolutely. And and big, and we're a big company. So we have, you know, I, I agree the corporate world has has that as well. And we can, you know, the corporate social responsibility, uh, you know, stuff as well. We're, we're in a big, we can really drive that. And whether you drive that change through, you know, we've got 
you know, over a thousand staff in Threadbow, whether I can drive that just through the culture of Threadbow and how we operate down here. And, you know, as you said, with our environmental initiatives down here and, you know, being uh, 100% powered by renewable energy and all of those sort of things, we can, being custodians of this beautiful little part of Kosciuszko National Park, we can drive that. And so I, I, I agree with you, there's a myriad of ways of doing it. And I, and I think that what's going to happen actually is that the politicians will just become in their current form will just become more and more irrelevant they'll be seen to be the dinosaurs that they are and there'll be there will be people who are in business who for various reasons are going to be way more powerful than the politicians are and i think that that's where the change will come from so yeah there's a million ways of doing it and maybe the politicians will just be there to tick the the box on the new laws that we tell them to put through (laughs) (laughs) the new legislation that we tell them to put through in regards to uh, climate change but we'll um we'll have to wait and see but yeah i I agree And, and you can influence i mean just this the bit that interests me in doing a podcast and you know and hopefully it's something that i can um move forward with is that having this conversation with you is something that hopefully influences people and hopefully has a a positive outcome on people's lives and people go, oh, maybe, oh, yeah, possibly. And then that's how we get people on side and then that's how we we make change. So there's a million ways of doing it. And I think, yeah, if we just focus on politics, we're going to get a little depressed. Stuart, you are an incredible human being. It's an absolute honour to speak with you and thank you so much for being so generous in this conversation and thank you for, you know, leaving me with this huge sense of hope that there's people like you in the world and that, you know, we can face things that we never even dreamed of and you can end up like you on the other side. That's bloody amazing, mate. You're a a bloody gift, Stuart Diver. (laughs) Thanks, Osha. It's been awesome to talk to you. I've, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. That was Stuart Diver. You see what I mean? Like, in case of emergency, listen to that podcast. Listen to that conversation. Once you know what he's been through, and anyone, you know, over the age of 30 or even under the age of 30, once I've just described to you what he went through, what he's been through, just hearing the techniques that he uses and, and how he's managed to to survive this whole time, not only that, but thrive, is, is inspirational stuff and something that we could all really, really learn from. And I'm grateful to hear... There's this shining beacon, this shining example of human resilience and power in the face of unpredictability and enormous grief and knowing that there is another side, that yes, there is huge grief, but life goes on and that there is a way to continue. And that is profound. And I'm so grateful that Stuart took the time to be on the show. The Elements is the podcast that he's hosting right now. Just type in the search bar of whatever podcast app you're listening to this on type in the element Stuart diver there it is thank you so much everyone that made that happen what an incredible show thank you rachel barrett my executive producer thanks to andy ma my audio producer taylor heider on the music and you for listening if you need me at all send osher email at gmail.com and i'll see you on thursday for idle australians until we speak then sleep well and dream of beautiful things 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.